0: Hi, I'm Dave, and you're listening to Making Problems to Solve, the podcast about curiosity, creativity, and problem solving. Today I'm talking to Bernie Solo, the artist, designer, sometimes an inventor, just an all-around problem solver and maker. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing really good, Dave. Thanks a lot for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: Oh, thank you. So I usually like to go back in time and kind of get an idea of when you started your creative journey do you remember back when you were a kid, were you always taking things apart and trying to figure out how they work or drawing and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, the way I grew up, um, my dad always had something. Yeah, you know, We had uh, actually like a small... It wasn't really a farm, but we had my dad always. He had worked on a farm when he was younger, so we had uh, we had tractors all the time and all kinds of mechanical stuff around there, and uh, never had any uh, new cars. So my dad was always working on cars in the garage and things like that. So learned to take apart motors and you know cars and do brakes and oil changes and all that stuff you know at home um, when I was really young, and then um, always doing drawing. So I think that uh, you know that's kind of where my maker personal maker journey started was being, uh, an artist, you know, doing, um, doing drawings and also, also building things, you know, making, making some things, but I, I tended to, uh, uh get to, to, more like two dimensional, uh, you know, drawings. I got into photography when I was in middle school, senior, junior, or yeah, high school In middle school. Got into photography as well. So photography, drawing. I was fortunate enough when I went to school in the late '70s uh, that uh, we had um, we had photography class. We had woodshop, metal shop, auto shop. Uh, we had a uh, building trades class. Um, we had, uh, um, of course, art art programs and things like that. And we also had a um, we had a printing press, a small printing press uh, that I learned to do some graphics and things on there and actually, um, you know, seem reproduced in the graphics form. So that's kind of was my, you know, my idea when I was younger, as far as getting into those things like that. And then I found out about the school in Detroit, um, the college for creative studies that, um, does a uh, commercial art major. And so, you know, I went straight into that with a majored in, illustration, commercial illustration, uh, for advertising type of work like that. And then also minored in photography. So, and that's kind of where my career actually took off was, uh, doing photography and illustration kind of combining them together and that. So, and then along the side, always, always building things, making things, working on cars and stuff like that. So it was kind of like ever since, you know, being, being young, can't think of a time when I wasn't, you know, fortunately I was able to right off the bat go right from, you know, being a kid and doing that stuff right through high school, doing those things for the yearbook staff. I was a photographer for the yearbook staff and did graphics for the yearbook. And, um, you know, I was actually applying my art to in a commercial fashion. I didn't realize it at the time, but I was doing that. And then, like I said, fortunately, I was able to find a, a college program and went through that and went through a, um, a uh, program where I could actually work, do some work study. So I could actually work at an art studio, a commercial art studio while I was in college. And, uh, yeah, I just, <laughs> so I just went, went through it. It wasn't like, I, I mean, I guess I can say that I didn't, you know, I did stumble into it, but I didn't stumble into it after another career. I, I basically just started doing creative work right from being a kid right through school and back out into the commercial industrial environment of the, uh, cause I'm, I'm in the, the Detroit area. So most of the art and commercial work that I did was, uh, related to automotive cars things like that sure so.
0: yeah it sounds like the perfect uh, set of circumstances there and the college for creative studies i mean if you're interested in art and being a creative person and that college is there it's kind of you have to go to that one i mean this name it's right in the name
1: yeah yeah well that's where um a lot of the uh, automotive designers they go to school there too the uh, stylists Um, right down there. And then there's a school in California too, the, uh, art center. Uh, they turn Mm -hmm. out a lot of, uh, automotive stylists, automotive designers as well. So, um, you know, and I, I didn't really go into the automotive side of it when I was doing the commercial, the work there, but I, um, more like a general studies for doing advertising, um, artwork and photography, stuff like that. But when I get out (laughs) into the work world, everything was, uh, you know, cars, cars, cars.
0: Yeah. And it sounds like you were lucky that you had exposure to, and I mean, again, you were in a commercial art program, so it was clear that this was a path to getting a job doing this thing, right? It's different than if you went for a fine arts degree or something and you're yes, like, okay, now what exactly. do I do this?
1: <laughs> yeah. And being, um, I've, I got, uh, I got two kids, a son and a daughter and they're both in their early twenties and, um, watching what was going on with them when they were in, uh, middle school and high school and listening to, you know, some of the things that their teachers and counselors were talking to them about. And it was a, it's a kind of a thing. It's very common You pretty much anybody you've ever probably interviewed, uh, would probably have a recollection of, um, you know, somebody saying, well, you can go, you know, it's great to do, uh, creative stuff, but you need to get a real job sort of mm-hmm. thing. And, uh, yeah, and so I was fortunate to find out that, you know, you can actually have a real job and, and be creative, you know, go to work and be creative and do do creative work every day, you know? And um, I mean, it's not just in graphics or visual or hands-on. So, I mean, they're like, um, I know people that do commercial music, you know, they're, they're right. music producers or they're musicians that actually get hired to write music for advertising, commercial purposes, things like that for presentations and stuff like that. So, you know, there's there's a way. It's just that it's not in the common list of careers. Usually, when you're you know the kids are in school talking to talking to counselors, you know about what to go to school for. It, they tend to, you know, at least in my experience, they, they tend to kind of go by the general list of careers, you know. Um, so
0: of course, sure. When you were in high school, was there any sense that you could get a job doing that? Um, Did, was there anyone who was at school who kind of encouraged you to go for that type of career or did you figure that out yourself?
1: Well, I think I've, well, I figured it out myself for sure, but there were probably it just happened that it worked out that I was in the photography program. I was in the art graphics program, but then I was also on the yearbook staff, which was a, a class, you know, you could take for the, you know, the students that would put together the yearbook every year. And I was doing graphics for the yearbook. Like there was a, it was like a job, it was a job assignment, you know, to like, I had to do these, the the divider pages, they all had to have a graphic done for them. And then Mm -hmm. I was also going out and photographing for the advertising section in the back of the yearbook where the sponsors like local businesses would sponsor, they would, you know, they'd donate money to the yearbook production and they would get an ad in the back of the yearbook and they'd get a picture of, you know, themselves or their business or whatever. And so I was going out <laughs> actually selling ads and also doing graphics for some of them and, and doing photography for some of the businesses. And then I would bring those photographs back and we'd put them in and it was like, I wasn't getting paid for them, but it literally was me doing my work, that type of work, but also doing it as a, like it was a job. You right. know. So I literally had the application right away. There was no do a piece of art and hope somebody buys it. It was like, no, you got a list of, you, you know, you have these graphics done and we need them, we need them in two weeks. And we also have these photographs that have to get shot, you know, cause they got to go into the book and there's a deadline. So I, yeah, I just sort of fell into that and it was like, Oh, you know, you can actually get an assignment and go out and do creative work and then come back and, you know, turn it over. And then, you know, moving into a career, then you literally get a purchase order first, you know, to do something. And then you do the work and have it go through all the approval processes and then uh, turn it over and send them an invoice. Sure. You know, so it's <laughs> like, it's like doing business, <laughs> basically. You yeah. Know. So, yeah. So I guess that's kind of how I, I stumbled into it. So I had some really great mentors, but they were more. Uh, creative mentors that not really as in telling me like how I could make a career out of it I know when I was younger that one uh, one of my um, favorite mentors um, one of the things that he did tell me that was business related was of course as a young person in my early 20s I kept worrying about like you know how much money can I you know make on this you know can I actually make a living doing this stuff and you know his advice was which he actually told me three times before I (laughs) actually sunk in was that (laughs) if I really get good at something that I won't have to go ask for a raise or I won't have to go ask for that. I can just, you know, you know, part of that is be good at something, but also you got to tell people that you're good at it so that, you know, they know that you're there if you're good at something, but right. you don't tell anybody you're not going to get any business. So, um, and it, that advice really paid off too. It was, um, it was really good. So I kind of calmed down and I just focused on my skills and, uh, you know, it worked out and then the word of mouth got out there, you know, that I, what I was doing and, um, you know, had some job offers like that. So I'm in this word, that's the kickoff. That's how I got going.
0: Cool. Do you remember anything about the, we're going back to the printing press in high school? Cause that's, that's one of my things. I'm just curious, like what kind of, do you remember anything about it or <laughs> what type of process it was?
1: Well, it wasn't, it wasn't an antique machine necessarily. It's mm-hmm. probably old. I mean, because that would have been in the mid, 70s probably so the machine was old it was probably a printing press from maybe from the 1960s of some sort something like that Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like a a relic um type of a machine it was um i can't remember what the name of it was um i know different there's some different brands like heidelberg and that they make some small presses um and it was i remember we made photographic plates for it okay we had to expose the, it was almost like a, like a tin foil, like plate and you'd expose it and photographically
0: make the plates like right. that.
1: Um, but that's about all I remember about, about doing that. So it wasn't like we were like, setting type with um, like letting and things like that. And um, right. if we did have text, it was going to be photographically burned onto those plates. And then those plates got clipped onto the drum. Do you know what I'm talking about? What
0: that's yes. called? Is that yeah.
1: offset printing basically?
0: Yeah, I think so. I, I understand the basic concept, but I never, when I started first doing graphic design and stuff was there was, everything was going to a computer and stuff. So yeah. almost every, even if you had an offset press, it was going to be a computer that was going to drive, you know, so right was, yeah. um, <laughs> so I missed all of that stuff. <laughs> and now I just have, yeah, I have the antique like cast iron machines. It's interesting too, because the one that the big one that I have, I got from this guy and he got it. When he was in high school in the 60s, um, and they still were using it, you know, but they were getting rid of it. So, that's why he got it and he put it in their basement and kept using it up until, you know, a few years ago. So, (laughs) it's pretty amazing.
1: Well, those old machines, I mean, I've got um, the machines that I use in my garage for my uh, my machinist-type metalworking – my one lathe is 1936, and the other one's in 1947, and my um, my Bridgeport uh, mill is a 1979. And th- there's parts available for those machines; they'll they'll never not work, you know. Like and right. those old printing presses are the same way. I mean, they're just they're if they're maintained, they're, they're never they're never going to be unusable. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, it's just the way things are. It's not like um, you know, like today things are so disposable. mm Hmm. It's just, um, yeah, you know, like, like televisions when I was little, I remember the television repairman coming to the house, you know, to like check the tubes in the television and like you know, replace the tubes, and you know, and there your TV's <laughs> working again, you know, <laughs> and now it's yep. like just go buy a new one,
0: yeah. It's kind of funny because I grew up through that, like when they still like tube TVs were still around, um, but they weren't really selling them. My dad, like, would fix them and stuff, he would get old TVs and fix them oh, up yeah. and stuff.
1: And, yeah, when uh, <laughs> you would open up, the, you'd open up the back of the TV or a radio. There was the set of the um, the electrical uh, diagrams were like in, on a piece of paper, like inside of the back of yeah. the television, <laughs> so you could pull it out and see like where the you know what the wiring diagram was. It's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. So yeah, so that's pretty cool. Did anybody else in your family growing up were they into any kind of creative stuff? Uh, in-
1: Mmm. No. No, not that I can recall. I had one uncle um and he he passed away when I was still pretty young. Um I remember that um he would do some he would do some drawings and things just for himself, just some some mm-hmm. um you know, some fine art sort of little things that he would do some drawings. So I just remember I was really young when he passed away and that my um it was my mom's brother and I remember I inherited like some of his, his art supplies. So oh, that's cool. You know, that was kind of cool. So I kind of <laughs> learned about that after, you know, like I said, I was, I was really young, but then mm-hmm. you know, after that, I was just, you know, she said, well, these were your, you know, some of your uncle's, you know, um, art supplies, colored pencils and pastels and things like that, that he, that I got, you know, so had those for a long time, but that's about it. But not as a, not as a career. Um, No, I don't think so. So I'm not okay. sure where it all came from. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah well yeah i think that that's it's never the same for anybody so you see a lot of different paths i'm just always curious um you know sometimes i talk to people and the yearbook has come up a few times so a few people have you know worked on uh you know yearbook and obviously now i don't even know how they do it now i assume it's just all computerized uh and they send over files yeah. to the uh to the printer but I think you know they still do i think the layout and everything you know there is a you know, uh, a or class for that. So.
1: Yeah. 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 All of our pages had to be literally laid out like, um, the photos and everything. They gave us all these mm-hmm. templates to like every single page had to be, had to be laid out and put the, you know, put the photos in and where the text was going to be and all that stuff. So it was, it was a great experience to have that. Yeah. A lot of labor. Sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a lot different now, but I see you have you have like a uh, big drawing table back there in your uh, in your background. Oh yeah,
1: yeah. I can't I can't get rid of that thing. <laughs> I'd love to just <laughs> sit down there and draw that because it's got a nice um, bottom rail, the straight edge that slides up and down okay. for drafting. Yeah, I don't have a drafting mm-hmm. machine, which are those uh, those arms that you know can move around. Which I, I'd like to right. get a vintage one of those someday if I can find one. Um, but uh, yeah. but yeah, just to sit down and and you know just draw something up quick is really it's really kind of nice just to have that there. You know, it's uh, kind of relaxing every once in a while to not, not do CAD, you know, on the computer and just to sit down and do a drawing. So, and that was right. another class that I had too, which uh, in high school was, uh, was drafting on a, mm-hmm. on a drafting board, you know, on a, on a, on a, on a drafting table like that. So, you know, learning yeah. to do those, um, those different views, you know, and elevations um, of a part that you're going to make you know, it's, it's just amazing those skills, you know, for anybody, even if you have a napkin and a, a, a ballpoint pen, I mean, you know, you could, if you, if you kind of have that language, you know, figured out like how to go about that, you can, you can do a drawing, you know, to show somebody how to, how to, you know, put a bookshelf together or whatever, you know, and do the different views of it and explain it like that. It's a, it's a type of, um, I guess that language, I guess it's type of communication, you know, be able to do that. So, which of course, you know, helped a lot with learning CAD.
0: Right. Yeah. No. this is, you know, they basically tra- you know, and originally they translated everything pretty much straight from the drawing table to the computer. You know, now yeah. obviously you can do so many more things that you couldn't possibly ever do with a pencil.
1: <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, especially yeah, with 3d, sure. you know, definitely. Especially the dimensioning. I love the fact that, uh, I do my, um, my design work in, um, uh, Rhino, rhinoceros mm-hmm. 3d and then i uh export those files out to fusion 360 which i used fusion somewhat um i just i've been using rhino for such a long time i got so used to it that um but i export out the fusions and then i go into the um dimensioning the the drawing uh, uh module and there you mm-hmm. do the dimensional drawings and that
0: really okay. works out That's well so you can just you yeah. know
1: click on click on corners of things and you know pull the dimension out. You don't not have to, you know, go through like you would like on a, on a drawing, on a drawing board, you have to actually measure it, you know, and figure out what the scale is and, um, you know, draw write the measurements and things down like that. So it's kind of nice to be able to have the computer <laughs> just kind of click and drag.
0: Right. So when you're in Rhino, are you doing stuff just by proportion or do you, you know, have the, you know, use dimensions there when you're doing your original oh, yeah, design yeah. or do you,
1: I use the dimensions in there for sure. Yeah. Everything's mm-hmm. real accurate, you know, um, clicking, snapping to the grids and things like that. It's just that I don't do the finished, um, the drawings,
0: you know? To, okay. To so you can them. actually so generate I, the yeah I, draw,
1: drawing, yeah, I I Yeah. So I, I, um, I kind of overdo it a lot. Um, <laughs> like there was a little thing, um, uh, uh, Chad from Minecraft, and, you know, he was, he came up for, from Atlanta and stayed with me for a week here and, uh, um he had this little thing I, you might have seen it on his instagram it was a little uh, aluminum bracket that he wanted to make and we had an idea to do it and I could have probably just drawn it on a piece of paper and figured out where the holes and things were but it was kind of neat um we sat down um, kind of right here where I'm sitting in my my home studio here and uh you know I went down went and you know and drew it up but you know, we drew it like we were imagining it, but then once it gets you have it in CAD, you kind of flip it around and look at it and say, well, wait a second, you know, that's not going to kind of work like we thought. You know, move some things around, you know, try a couple of them and then like duplicate the, the part itself and put two mm-hmm. of them in the scene and see if they bump into each other. Because there, there was these little brackets that kind of work at a right angle to each other. For this this laser that's back here. Okay. Um, you need to fix your... Um, your your parts like I was making those well the the coins I made for um, Jimmy's Speedway for the go kart right. thing um, I was making a little jig that would hold them in the right spot there on the table and um, we were we had some ideas about um, making some adjustments to that and making it more usable and um, yeah so if I I guess if I would have sketched it out on a piece of paper we could have gone out in the garage and I could have started cutting it you know cutting the metal and stuff but we would have probably either finished it. And had it not be the full capabilities that we wanted, Mm -hmm. or it may have not even worked. So by doing it in the CAD, we were able to like slide the parts around because it was a two-piece that slid inside of itself. And so by doing it in the CAD, we were able to like kind of simulate that, you know, and see if it was actually going to work together. And there was a couple of adjustments. So we not only got it done, but we probably got it done a lot better than we would have got it done if we were just kind of winging it, you know, so...
0: Right. Yeah. So if you just started uh, making something, you end up with something that worked, but it wasn't the, you know, didn't live up to the potential that it could have had if you, you'd have to remake it mm-hmm. two or three times, you know, and, tr- you know, test it back and forth, you know. Yeah. Um. But with the CAD, you get to do some of that without uh getting to the material. So that's definitely an interesting skill, especially if you're designing things that, you know, have to work together like you said, there's two moving parts that are, you know, have to interact. So then having, you know, the simulation oh, yeah. gives you yeah, a- for
1: sure. If I, um, back, I was just thinking there was a good example of, um, oh, it's been a while now <laughs> I've been off of YouTube for a little <laughs> while, but, um, there was that, um, I, I did that project where I, where I mounted a circular saw to my CNC machine. That's right. And, um, when I, when I bought the, the saw, do you recall that one? Did you see that?
0: Yes, yeah, that was very yeah, that was cool. I got that written on my list of things, the oh, interesting okay. things you've done.
1: <laughs> so what I did was it's in the video and I kind of went back went over it kind of fast in the video, but um I bought the saw and when I started taking it apart, I before I took it all apart, I photographed it at a very straight on angle so that it was like really flat when I when I shot it. And right. so I imported that. I shot it with a ruler in the photo so that when I brought the photo into the CAD program, I could lock that, that, um, ruler to the grid in the, in the software. That way the photo, you know, it was locked to the right spot. And then I was building my CAD and I just, I, I literally just drew circles right where all the screw holes were in the photo Okay, because I had confidence in my, my photo that I took was going to be accurate. And then, um, yeah, I didn't even go through a second iteration with it. Once I had the part, I, of course I double checked all my measurements once I did the CAD with the actual saw and, you know, I drilled all the holes and I put the bolts through, you know, and it, and it, and it fit. So that's like a nice little practice, you know, when you are making something that fits into something else, um, that, that goes back to being a technical photographer as well, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it's really kind of fun, uh, you know, um, being in the position I'm in now, cause I'm, I pretty much retired semi-retired from my my uh career doing the photo work for automotive but taking all those skills now and just having this toolbox of of different things that i can do and combine them together is this um, it's really a lot of fun you know to being able to pull that stuff out so you know a lot of times um i don't know i i listen to a lot of uh you know people talk and podcasts and things like that and a lot of youtube channels and things like that and you know some people um you know, hear them, maybe they're doing something that's kind of out of their, um, not their comfort zone, but just out of their normal everyday things. And it's like, it sounds like it could be useless, but no matter mm-hmm. what you're doing, like, even if you're fixing something, like you're, you're repairing a faucet or something or some plumbing in your house, and it's kind of a burden to get it done you never know down the road, there could be, you know, months or years go by and you might have a project or a problem to solve. And it's back, goes back to related to something that you did, you know, or you learned a skill. Now you can apply it, you know? So it's kind of uh, interesting the way that we, we collect skills as we go along.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, Those are the people that I try to find uh, to talk to here on the show are people who collect a lot of different skills and combine them in different ways. And that's kind of like their creative process almost, right? It's not necessarily intentional, but every time you have a new wacky idea, you figure out what are your skills that you had, you know, used on previous projects and then recombine them into something new, so...
1: Yeah. So, I mean, those are, those skills, I, they're kind of like, I called it my toolbox because it's like a, it's a figurative toolbox, but it's a, it's, it's just like, it's like having tool, actual tools, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. you've got those tools to like do something and you need to, you need to get it done. And you, you know, you pull out the, that your actual toolbox and you've got different tools that, that can do different types of functions. It's the same sort of thing as in your head when you've got these figurative, you know, these tools, these skills uh, to pull out, um, you know, to be able to solve those problems.
0: Of course. Um, One thing I saw on your website, I, you know, stalked you so I could figure out uh, (laughs) what kind of questions to ask is you have a section on there with uh, these metal jewelry that's 3d printed. I think it's shapeways. Oh yeah.
1: In fact, I don't have, I don't have any of the other ones sitting around, but I literally was just sitting here. I had pulled a couple of them out because I was um, working on a ring for my my daughter, but I've got the
0: camera. He's right, showing me crazy. a couple of rings. Yeah. Camera doesn't want to focus on them too well, but <laughs>
1: yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, they've got a, um, uh, pattern on like, uh,
0: mm-hmm. one.
1: well, both of them are, I, I drew them, but like that one, I, does the camera, will it focus on that? It looks like, it doesn't out of-
0: like it. Yeah. Too close.
1: Well, it's like a vine. It's a vine with some leaves. Okay. Uh, going around it and so what I what I did for that was I did draw that on paper and Mm. I just made it like open-ended like I do this a strip of vine but I left the ends of it kind of loose and then I duplicated it I scanned it and then printed it out of several times and then I overlapped it with some tracing paper so I could make it it was continuous continuous yeah it would keep repeating around and then I was able to make that piece of art so that it was, however long, whatever size the diameter of the ring was, I was would be able to to scale it around that. So I I personally think that that is probably one of the more of the fun things that I do is taking something that's old school, like drawing with a pencil and paper, and then going out to something like this with Shapeways, which is the latest technology in three D metal printing. <laughs> you know, so yeah, <laughs> you know. You go from the old to the new, and in fact, that the one thing that I I sell the most on the Shapeways uh, website is the um, there's a couple of anvils, anvil necklace pendants. Yeah, and I
0: actually
1: my description on there is actually saying that I'm taking the you know the oldest, probably the oldest metalworking tool, which is an anvil, Mm -hmm. and then reproducing it as a piece of jewelry with the latest technology in metalworking, which is 3d printing metal. So it's like a massive contrast, you know, the oldest, right. to the newest.
0: Yeah. You're not even, you're not casting them in something or, you know, which would be like probably a more traditional way to make jewelry. Um, but it's, it's made all by a robot.
1: <laughs> yeah. 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 Those are neat. There's, um, I've, I've sold quite a few of them through there. I should probably advertise them a little bit more. Those are, those are a lot of yeah. fun. And, and the the anvils were three D modeled, you know, so they weren't. I didn't actually do any carving or anything like that. They were just they've been digital all the way through, right?
0: Yeah. And there's a couple more organic shapes on there. Um, they're similar to the the ring you're talking about here. Um, there's the trying to remember what was on there. There's a anise flower, I think, and then some couple other yeah,
1: it's a couple of yeah. It's a seed yeah. pod, right? From anise right. To the seeds. So that was an organic, right? So I took that. Took photographs of the anise. Uh, seed pods and then i modeled them organically modeled them in 3d cat and well sort of cad i guess it's still cad it's a uh, 3d sculpting mm-hmm. and then uh oh, the yeah. other one is a uh, is seed pods also and i forget what kind of plant it is um but that was a that was a project i did with my kids what's that my i think it's with my daughter on that one because we were we were out looking for I can't remember now which, (laughs) um, Mm -hmm. what project we were doing, but we were looking for shapes, um, like in nature to, to solve some problems, to go out in nature and just see where patterns are because, you know, we were, okay, we're making jewelry and, but making things that are, they're very appealing, you know, pattern, visually pat, you know, visually appealing. Um, Mm -hmm. and then going around the backyard basically and like photographing you know different plants and leaves and flowers and all kinds of things like that and then um you know bringing those in to the house sketching or drawing tracing the photos whatever you know Mm -hmm. to get those shapes and to figure it out and it didn't have to be that plant you know like that that anise i took some liberties with that i mean i made it recognizable but it's way more uniform than an actual seed pod you know is but you know so as far as you know the topic of usually whenever we get in these conversations the topic of inspiration comes up sure and you know that that was what that was it was a that was a um practicing practicing uh well, how would i put that um functional uh inspiration like like well because i work commercially you know there's deadlines right
0: mm-hmm. so if i had a yeah. client
1: that said hey I want a necklace, I want a, I want a thing here and I want it to be a pendant or whatever it is and I want it to be based on nature and I really like flowers and seed pods and stuff like that. It's be like, okay, yeah. well <laughs> you go out in the backyard and you start looking around, you know, and you take one plant like that, and I probably shot six different angles of it for in photographs. Right. And those different angles are going to be different shapes. Whether I'm looking straight on at it, or sideways, or upside down, or the back of it, the back of a flower versus the front of a flower, you know, I mean, they're completely different. And you, mm-hmm. f- and it's right there. It, everything that the solution to that problem is right there. It's all right in front of you. You just got to yep. go through it, you know, and refine it. It's 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 a great process. I love doing that stuff, solving those types of problems. Right. The process sometimes is more fun than the fin- you know <laughs> getting it done.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I've, you know, commented on a bunch of people's, uh, Instagram posts kind of about that. Um, lately. Um, I'm curious as you were doing that project with your kids though, what do you remember what the, or maybe you don't remember, but you're, you kind of, you came up with an idea that you wanted to make something with them or.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, it was. Um, I, I don't know. As a parent, I, 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 have been accused of being a little over like heavy handed with my kids, like always (laughs) doing something. It's like, dad, just leave me do it by myself, you know, like, and so, um, you know, I would kind of get in there and say, well, you know, if they're working on something that's probably really simple. I mean, I don't know, you know, she may have been making a greeting card for somebody or something (laughs) (laughs) that turned into like, okay, this is how we do this. This is how we design. Right. You know, this You're is like, how oh. you solve this problem. So I don't know, maybe, um, um, you know, someday it'll, it'll come in handy, but, um, sure. Uh, you know, she may have been a little bit young for that, that type of teaching, but, um, <laughs> I, I do like share. I really like sharing. I think sometimes I overshare <laughs> a little
0: bit. It's like, yeah. leave me alone. Yep. I can get that with the kids, right? Cause they have an idea, and maybe they want to make something and they're like, oh, I can just use this like uh, Crayola modeling clay or something. And you're like, hold on, let's go to the art store and we'll buy like yeah. the professional materials. <laughs> we some, and we'll do we this thing. going to take six weeks. Supply. And they're like,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> right. need some resin. We got to call, we got to call total boat and get some epoxy in here.
0: <laughs> yep. Yeah. So you, you have to really gauge like what, what is their interest level? How far do they want to go? And, you know uh, pull back because like you're like yeah then you're off you're off doing this project and you know (laughs) they're back watching cartoons or something because yeah yeah exactly
1: okay yeah so that's a scenario so she's off finally doing what she wanted to actually do and then i end up starting a line of jewelry
0: (laughs) right exactly
1: (laughs) it's like like, wait a minute did i do that for her do that for me
0: yeah yeah so i mean that's so when you when you had that idea you know to take these natural shapes and turn them into something in jewelry how did you come to the idea that they needed to be 3d printed in metal like was that do you remember if you oh, what came I, first
1: i think at the time um okay i actually remember this a friend a friend of my wife um she had taken I think she took some classes somewhere, doing some casting, um, and she had attempted to cast or oh, what's it called now? Isn't there a technique where you can actually metal like you can dip like leaves in molten gold or something, or you can
0: isn't there Probably. a technique where you can do that? You can, that like
1: you can plate. I'm- Organic things. I've seen people do leaves, and they say, "Oh, this is an actual leaf in here, but it's it's gold dipped or something or whatever." Oh, anyway, I've never heard of that. But I'll the story is, is that uh, she was trying to do a casting, bronze casting. She wanted a bronze pendant of an aniseed pod, and I don't know if any people out there know what that that looks like, but you can obviously Google it. But there are these really beautiful star shapes, and when the pods right. open up, the little um, bean or I guess it's a bean that's inside the pod is it splits open and it's really kind of a cool design. So if anybody's out there, doesn't know what it looks like, just take a look at it. Um, but she wanted to do that. She was trying to make this and it, it, it didn't work out for her. She tried it a couple of times. It didn't work out. And um, so I guess that was one of those, you know, you hear somebody having a problem and it's like, well, how can we solve this problem? You know, like looking into it. And I think probably at the same time I discovered shapeways. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking. Well, here we go. <laughs> we can just 3D model it in this, uh, seed pod, and then we'll uh, print it in bronze. Perfect. So yeah. So that was kind of what uh, what sparked that one. Does that answer the question? Is that kind of what you were?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was just you know, like, Curious. Like how? you know, you, you know, if you're if we look at your YouTube or you know most of what you post on Instagram, it's definitely not you know jewelry design, right? So. <laughs> you know of your history of you know automotive photography and stuff so i was curious like you know because i didn't expect to see that on your website so figured you know so but yeah it's like you're you're interested in the process of how do we you know solve this problem and you're like this is a technique you know again you can't 3d print metal in your garage but you can right you know send it there is someone who can do that solve that problem for you and again that's the thing to cast that would Require so much more like equipment and things, you know, even yeah. at a small scale. Um, and well, getting that, you know, getting the,
1: the, the 3D yeah. printing involves quite a bit of uh, business uh, machines as well,
0: <laughs> right? But someone <laughs> else's machines, do that,
1: but luckily, there's a service where you know, um, uh, you know, that you do it. There are other people that can do that process for you. Mm-hmm. Um, right. I know a guy I just met, um, uh, through Instagram that does aluminum. Um, well, he doesn't do aluminum sculpture. He does the sculpture in clay or whatever it takes, but then he casts the final pieces in aluminum and he has yep. a foundry that actually does the casting for him. Cause they're yeah. really they're large pieces. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so he's not, he's not building a, a foundry at his own studio. You know, he's right. going to a foundry and having it poured. And I, I think there's a lot of sculptors that do that type of, uh, that type of work, where they um, uh, they, they would have a place do that for them. So I mean, jewelry is a lot smaller. A lot of people do their own jewelry, but um, right. have, you, have you ever seen uh, this Instagram here?
0: Uh, I made I that can't coin. Can't see who it is. Oh, okay. It's really hard. Just to oh, yeah, they're back. like cutting out a disc out of. A, uh,
1: a, I made a couple of coins for my kids for for uh um christmas gifts okay and i i made the coins but i i did i, I did them on my mill see there was kind of circles there yep so that's sort of like close to making jewelry on a bridgeport <laughs>
0: so. that's true
1: there, there you go you can see the circles there right there or it's okay so
0: there. the design the, oh that's cool so the coins just have a geometric design on them they don't have a, yeah it's yeah. one
1: of the patterns anything. they call it uh, sacred geometry where you mm-hmm. where the geometry just naturally works together, where you just combine these circles where this one circle goes, there it is right there. So the one circle, right, yeah. in the, middle of the other circle, like at the radius mm-hmm. and you yes. end up with these patterns, like an infinite pattern. So I, I guess I've gone full circle back to making jewelry in my, in my garage now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, and then, um, you know, well, you know, these pieces here and I'm, I'm going yep. to, I'm going to eventually
0: uh, the sprocket
1: make more of them. In fact my plan is i can reveal a little bit of my plan right now is that this particular one was mm-hmm. i don't know if you saw this in person ever but um it's got a, a carving on the front of it do so you see that that engraving that's on there
0: yes mm-hmm.
1: so caleb crafted that of um make magazine oh, okay a trade and trade he was practicing his um his metal engraving and uh and so he he offered to do that for me in exchange for one of the you know, another, uh, the fidget toy for himself. It gave me some ideas cause I really like that steampunk look, you know, for that. And that, uh, that piece is, it's infamously being ripped off by another manufacturer. Um, right. And, uh, I just figured, well, you know what, maybe what I'll do is I had this personal one of mine. I really like it because it's, I, I had a brass version of it and I had a stainless version of it that I had sold for a while there. And, uh, this one's a combination of stainless and brass mixed together and I think um, maybe what I'll do is I'll actually when I do start reproducing them I'll I'll make uh, steampunk versions of it with that engra- with an engraving on an engraving, it engraving yeah different from th- different from this one um, mm-hmm. but with a pattern on there that would probably be a little bit more difficult to mass produce and then I right. may I may actually just number them in editions also you know that's a good idea. Because I'm not going to mat, They won't be mass produced. They'll be, you know, I make 10 or 20 of them at a time, sort of a thing. Kind of right. like, um, I didn't get to listen to the episode yet with Tony. Um, mm-hmm. But right, Tony I Rouleau. really get a lot of inspiration from him and how he works with him. He, he makes his uh, his fine woodworking tools that he makes. Right. And he makes them in small editions, And, uh, you know, it works out good for him. He actually, I th- think most of the time he does a pre-sale on them.
0: Yes. Um, yep.
1: When he does those things. Yeah. so um you know, i may i may do that again because i think i i kind of got a little bit overwhelmed by the demand and i was out trying the demand, to, find yeah. somebody to manufacture them and stuff like that and i just kind of lost my lost my way with them so i think i'll get back to just making them in small batches cool
0: that's you know, actually that's great news because i think uh i i got in a little bit too late and more uh, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> well, towards the tail end of the process I'll and they were, sure you were know, too popular
1: I, I've got quite yeah. a notification list that I have um, on my desk. That's yeah. for everybody that's uh, that's going to get notified once I decide I'm going to make cool. some more of them. So, um, yeah. And uh, uh, do I you got know opportunities for to make the to make the raw parts? Um, they're laser cut. They're the okay. I don't, um, the steel and the brass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't I don't do that part myself, but I finish machining right. the, the parts um, once I get them here. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've got a couple of offers um, from some new suppliers to be able to do that. So it's actually looking like it's um, gonna be a real thing.
0: That sounds uh, that sounds great. Uh, you know it's, it's, it's the most interesting fidget toy ever. You see it's uh, two, two gears connected by a chain um, called the sprocket. And it's, uh, you still are you still selling the T-shirts, I think with the patent uh, design on it?
1: Yeah, they're they're on the website. Yeah, there was a little bit of a quality oh. issue for a while, but I believe that they got that worked out now. That was that uh, threadless company, which I yeah, lot of I think a lot of people had they, that. They yeah. just had yeah, there was for a while there, there was um, some issues with their products because mm-hmm. the first ones that came out were fine, and I think the ones that are coming out now are fine. But there was a time there when I, a couple of people had said, you know, they're putting them through the wash, and <laughs> the print comes off, which is not a good idea. Oh no, You see that's what yeah. Doing?
0: Oh wow. Bernie has on an official making problems yeah. to solve t uh, t-shirt. You wear my
1: uniform? <laughs> I had to wear my uniform. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> that's great. I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that those are like direct to garment printing and they, maybe they just had, you know, they probably do it in different facilities and maybe they opened a new facility and the quality yeah. control wasn't there or something. I, and they probably that, set yeah. some people down there to straighten it out. And, you know, where cause did, I think that's. Where did you get yours done at? Where are these done? Um, sure. I make, th- I make those. Those are all handmade. Oh well, wow. Okay. In my basement. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there's not that high demand, so <laughs> and mm-hmm. I I really enjoy the process. It's a different type of printmaking, so I, you know, just, you can print the screen on uh transparencies on the laser printer and then you can burn the screen. This it's really easy to do yeah. in your house. You can buy a kit at Michaels to do it. And um
1: That's Yeah, cool. so it's
0: not hard to it's not hard to do and the you know, basically all the designs I do are really um uh, you know, lend themselves well to like the, you know, single color, uh, line art kind of style that, you know, is easy to print, yeah. you know, without having well, any been, complicated equipment. The,
1: uh, mine's been through the wash a few times and it's been holding yeah. up pretty good. So I usually, anything like this, I usually turn them inside out when I wash. So
0: yeah, mm-hmm. that's always a good idea. But, uh, yeah, this, it's screen printed, those are the first batch I used the speedball ink and then, uh, Graz. Uh, if he, um, he told me about this, you know, it's so basically a professional quality, uh, whatever, uh, water-based ink for screen printing, and it's, it, you know, it's really high quality, and, you know, so you can do that yourself. It's not, um, <laughs> nothing complicated. That's cool. So, well, it looks professional to me. a lot of fun. That's Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Um, do you know AJ from Design the Everything? He does, he he does a lot of CNC. No, I don't. I
1: mean, I know the brand, based, but I don't. I don't know him.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he, um, yeah. If you, you can check out YouTube and stuff, but he makes um, he makes these coins that are all, uh, computer generated, so they're all unique. So he has this uh, basically the G code creates a new pattern for every every one, and he uses that to engrave different uh, of his products. So that might, you know, if you could, that's one way to make them all unique and not worry about them being all the same. <laughs> is a uh, that sounds um, really you know, cool. That, might, that sounds because I don't know how you were planning on engraving the the parts if you were going to. Well,
1: I, I was going to just because di- I, I enjoyed enjoy design, so I was mm-hmm. going to, and I like the the steampunk look of that, and I was going to go mm-hmm. back to some uh, would be like the nineteenth uh, century, you know, Victorian or like the Art Nouveau. Yeah, and uh, you know, make something that uh, a pattern. And actually mm-hmm. it could be a couple of them. And then the other reason that I got that <laughs> machine, right.
0: oh, the, I bought that yeah, off of a
1: Um that yeah. uh, laser engraver. And so I've been mm-hmm. playing around with that and, um, that works really good on stainless steel. Okay. It's really cool. nice for etching stainless. So I could, yeah. did, I could digitally, you know, make the design I could draw the design by hand and then, um, scan it in and then vectorize Turn it, it into a tool and path, Yeah, And, uh, Etch them are down there. So that's part of the other reason why I was making the little jigs with mm-hmm. him, you know, to, to, to hold parts in, right. in place for, for uh, production so you can reproduce the location when you get that part in there. Because that yeah. those machines, do you have any experience with the, that type of laser?
0: Fiber laser? No, just watching videos of them.
1: <laughs> oh, because uh, it just... The way that it comes out of that lens and it, it projects down, it's like a it's like a slide projector that basically like a you know and it just projects down, and so you don't really have an actual like a tangible, um, like location for it. Preview so kind
0: of that, thing, like a, yeah.
1: A gantry, a gantry laser, you know, it's like it's pointing mm-hmm. straight down. It's right there. The gantry's got the x and y locations, and that's where it goes, where it cuts this thing just projects down. And so when you're projecting, like, and you change the focus, the cone, Mm -hmm. the cone of the focus is like that. So when it goes up or down, the size of your, of your graphic changes. Oh, right. It's like, yeah, it's kind of like chasing around a little bit. There's a plenty of help on YouTube though. There's a lot of really great channels out there that, that, that have a lot of um, tips and tricks and that, and making it work. Um, I'm just trying to come up with a way like to, Reproduce the location a bit more accurately because you know once you set up like I made those coins for the um the go kart thing, yeah. And once I set it up, I just made all of them. But then once I right. moved the once I moved the 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 fixture, I don't know if I could get it back in the same spot again. <laughs> yeah, you
0: it's know? like a whole bunch of experimentation, trial yeah. and error to. So if get I get it back the same spot, alone,
1: if I probably could, but that's for me personally. That really that's kind of frustrating. Um, mm-hmm. not frustrating because of the time, just frustrating that there isn't a way to zero it out.
0: It's not predictable. I yeah.
1: Things that just zero the out, like, like, mm-hmm. you know, this is where you start, right? you know, like a CNC sure. machine or, uh, um, mm-hmm. you know, like the, when you're working on the metal machines, like the lathe or the bridge port or something like that, you know, I mean, there's a way to zero out your dials. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You find it. You know, so, but with that thing, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh, well, it's just going to just shoot this picture down there and, you know, you hope you get it in the right
0: spot. Right. It's like, yeah. You know, yeah, can you, can you engrave a, like a base plate or something that has a grid on it that at least yeah. you know like how many inches or millimeters or whatever um, to place the part? And then I don't know, does it move? Does the whole, like the head move up and down? Does it move yeah. vertically? And the Okay, because depending move, on what size part you're putting in there or whatever. Uh,
1: yeah. Depending on the size of the part, yeah, you have to raise it up. But the reason is, is if it, there's a focus point that mm-hmm. lens is always focused at a certain distance. So if right. you were to put a piece of flat little piece of thin metal, you're going to focus on almost right on the table. But if you put right. like, say, you, say you had a like, um, see this like my coffee cup with my logo on it.
0: Right. Yep.
1: Well, that's laser etched with that machine, and that cup is probably almost four inches deep. So I, you have to you have to crank that head up four inches higher. To get yeah. it to focus on that cup mm-hmm. that's four inches off the table. So, you know, and if you change that focus up or down just slightly, it, the, the logo would probably still be in focus within a quarter of an inch or so. But the but the problem is that logo is going to change size when you...
0: Right, yeah. It down yeah, with it, it. So yeah. You said it works like a projector.
1: <laughs> for it to be accurate, you need to keep focusing at the same distance every time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so yeah. people have come up with all types of different... Um, ways of focusing and uh yeah right now what i have is i actually have a wooden stick that i put under the lens yeah down to, you see where I'm, I'm pointing there you put a right. stick so there you and the where you, if you raise it up or lower it down you that stick is the the focus distance so it's kind of like high yeah. tech low tech.
0: <laughs> so. just draw a line with a sharpie you're like this is how high <laughs> don't lose yeah, the stick <laughs> it,
1: yeah and and it's kind yeah. of funny there's a really good channel um Oh, what's it called now? Uh, laser everything. I think something like that. Um, yeah, I think it's that. Uh, anyway, the guy goes through this. He's very technical. And when he gets to the focus thing, he just, he just, he just puts a metal piece under there and he cranks it. He, he has it so it keeps repeating like mm-hmm. the same file, like the laser just goes off and it's like drawing a square or drawing a, a simple graphic. And then he just cranks it up and down until he hears it sizzling. <laughs> <laughs> go past it and then you go back and then you go, Okay, there's a sizzle right there. It's like and it's like, oh, that's how you do it.
0: <laughs> wow.
1: And he that's says crazy. if you listen to the the sound of it, you'll it's almost like, you know, like tuning a um you know, like tuning a guitar or something. You know, you hit the string yep. and it's like you get that you get that tone and it's like, okay, well there's your focus spot. So then once you get it right. focused like that, then you take your measurement and you're like, Okay, this is gonna be my, my measurement for that lens on anything mm-hmm. that I wanna etch, I'm gonna stay at that exact millimeter height. You know? Right. So yeah. it's, uh, it's really, it's, it's kind of fun to play with. So, and I'm glad I, I, I got it secondhand off of Chad too. So he gave me a good deal right. on it. So I was yeah, able to you know, get something to kind of experiment with and it, it, it works great. He only let it go to me because he's he had three of them. So, <laughs>
0: oh well, there you go. Oh, uh, Chad <laughs> really loves <too>. his lasers. <laughs> yep. That's funny. It doesn't have any sort of scale or to tell you the height of the head. From the software? Or no.
1: The reason is a, that there's, like a, there's different, right under that, where I'm pointing right there,
0: mm-hmm, Yeah. there's
1: different lenses that you put on it. Okay. And the lenses are right. for how wide the, it's called a like galvo the, pad that spins yeah. up in here. It actually spins mm-hmm. around. And okay. it, right now, it'll spin around in a circle that's 200 millimeter diameter. Okay. And so 200. That's only um, what is that about? 10 nine inches, inches. Eight, eight or yeah. nine, nine inches? Yeah, yeah. So if I wanted to, if I was only going to etch like little things like like this consistently, I could put right. a smaller lens on there, and I would actually get a clear. It's, it well, it's really clear right now, but I could put a shorter lens on it, and it would it, it wouldn't flare out as much of a cone. And it right. would, the energy that it would be more powerful because it's all focused in a smaller area down here
0: right? versus mm-hmm. if it's a
1: bigger area on there. Cause it has to, well, it's like a flashlight. You know, if you focus a flashlight, like into a, like a small area, it's going to be super bright on the wall. But if you open up the flashlight, like further back, like, you know, this wider ring, it's going yeah. to be as bright of a light. <sighs> Same thing with the laser. You know, it gets weaker the further out, you know, you, you get it. So if you're, if you're consistently doing something like, you know that was going to be eight or ten inches. Well, then you're kind of stuck with that, and it'll go up to 300, I think, right. um, which is going to—it's also going to change the power of the laser. You know, you're not going to be able to etch things as deep as you would. So, right. every yeah. time you change that lens, the focus distance is going to be different. So, literally, if I had okay. three different lenses, I'd have three different wooden sticks.
0: Right, you have three different sticks. It's right. Just, <laughs>
1: anybody out there, is there probably, out there listening to this, they're going to be laughing. They're like, "What a... <laughs> God,
0: it's like I'll be getting messages. I just like, "That's how do it's done." What are you doing? Yeah. What are
1: you doing with a wooden stick?
0: No, this is a this is a calibration. Um, I'm trying to think of a better name for it. I can't think of it right now. This is my ca- calibrated gauge. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> do not throw away. It says on the side of the stick. So, <laughs> yeah. not for firewood. Yeah. <laughs> that's uh that's that's a lot of fun that's really cool to see you know expanding your capabilities here to something new so kind of it seems like you got excited about the new tool
1: yeah i got i got can i admit something to you i can tell you sure. that i have many many times have told people that when they ask about buying a, like a buying a CNC machine or buying yeah. a laser machine or something like that, the <laughs> CNC, cause I, have been doing CNC since, uh, to, um, 2011, I think I got my, my CNC router and, okay. um, I, I did it because I was, I wanted to carve signs for my, uh, my son's Cub Scout pack. Um, right. needed, I was, you know, participating parent, um, you know, doing stuff. And, um, so I had a, a purpose for it and I built a little one um, out of scrap wood and some small motors and things like that. And so I made one that I could make the plaques for his Cub Scout group. And then I realized, you know, there was more things I wanted to do, things that were bigger, things to be more accurate. And that's why I invested in the avid CNC, um, CNC rotor parts at the time, uh, four foot by four foot CNC router. But anyway, so my approach was when people ask about what, you know what? What should I buy if I want? I want to buy an CC router. My question was, what are you going to do with it? And a lot of times, folks will say, I, I don't know yet. You know, I, I just want I want the technology, and then I'll figure out what I'm going to do with it. And uh, my advice was to have something that you want to, a problem that you wanted to solve, mm-hmm. and then buy a tool that can help you solve that problem. N- that not to go out and spend money because it can be pretty expensive. I mean, some of these machines, you know, like our cutters or CNC router machines and stuff like that, or CNC, you know, metal m- mills, really expensive. And then not know what you're, you're going to do with it, you know, when you get it at home. Um, and so the f- my first time that I actually got that because <laughs> Chad offered that the to laser. me, yeah, but I, I don't know what I'm going to do with it yet. And I bought it. Without knowing what to do with it, but before I even got it back delivered to my house, I came up with the idea for these to do the etch on right. uh, the face of the sprocket. <laughs> just to myself, it's like Perfect. I screwed myself when doing that because I thought, oh my god, it's so hypocritical because here I bought a machine I don't know what to do with it yet. So, but it's, I think I, yes. it's something, some sort of a bug that I got now because I just did it again with um, I bought uh, a shaper machine off of Jimmy. Oh, okay. And I don't. I yeah, didn't know awesome. what to do with it when, when I got it at
0: home. The shaper so, origin. The what's that? The shaper origin.
1: No, the, no, no. The oh, an actual shaper
0: like a for a molding. Think, they it's like a, a of I think it's a
1: 1943 uh, shaper. It's definitely a World War II machine because it actually has a label on it that's a, it's um, like approved oh, cool. by the War Department or something on the side mm-hmm. of it. Is it so for a, a metal exciting. shaper
0: or a what's wood, that? Wood? is it for metal or no, for wood yeah okay you yeah a
1: machine shop thing um mm-hmm. it, it's just not real popular because it it kind of got outdated by newer machines like mil, like a right. like a, a vertical yeah, or horizontal. Uh, just, you, know, you can do a lot of things mm-hmm. with it with a shaper it yeah. doesn't have as many capabilities so there's a um, do, do you ever do you know um uh the youtube channel mr pete he does he was yes. the, the shop mm-hmm. teacher he, yep. he has a joke when he he's got videos on the shaper on there, and he said you can make anything you want with a shaper except money <laughs> it really kind of
0: <laughs> it's very but slow. Yeah,
1: it's really fun. It's it's, it's fun to play with. So we'll figure it out. But yeah. um, and the reason that um, uh, Jimmy said he would let it go was because he hadn't quite figured out what to what to do with it yet. You know what to what to make with it. So he's like, well, yep. hopefully you'll come up with something to make make with it. So. <laughs> Right. Uh, right. So, yep i'll I'll find something so I did put, put, I posted a few things already on uh, Instagram but I haven't made any finished parts with it yet so we'll see but again cool. I fell into that trap of like buying a machine that I didn't know what I was gonna do with it yet so all
0: right I'm gonna search Instagram here for a second like you did um this artist who uses all antique tools to make stuff I'm pretty sure yeah it's max Grossman he does a lot of stories he's a he's a glassblower so he he's been making uh, glass blowing tools, and he has all these. But he has an old, old. He has a line shaft um, set up wow. in his shop, and he has a power hammer, and he has this thing called a bulldozer, which is basically like a basically like a horizontal like press. It's automated horizontal press that you can you know put dies in to make different machines, make wow. different parts, and um and I think he has a shaper. He was using the shaper to make. Make the dyes, I think. So he's like, you know, would forge, um, partially forge these shapes, and then he would use the shaper to clean up the parts. So he has videos of that. Um, it, so it, it leaves a very, there, so. um,
1: the shaper leaves a very uh, unique surface. Um, yeah, yeah it can be really smooth too. It's amazing. Some of the, the couple of aluminum pieces that I did, I was amazed. And when it came right off the machine, I wiped it off with a rag and it was like a mirror finish on the thing, you know, for wow. I did a finish pass, you know, a real light cut mm-hmm. on it, right. and it like really nice. And you wouldn't get that from, <sighs> I mean, like a, on a mill, you know, you do something like a fly cutter, something to mm-hmm. get a nice smooth cut. Um, or, uh, well, surface a surface grinder like if you're grinding hardened steel parts, making tools and things like that, surface grinder leaves a really nice finish, um, right? On things like that, so you would end up with like that like that linear ground surface. But what that but that's a ground surface. So like an actual cut surface though, which is what the shaper does. It literally is taking a piece of you know a cutter steel and you're just cutting strips off of it, like yeah, continuously across it, and it's not mm-hmm. like any other it's not like any other machine it's it's very unique that the way that it works yep. you know and um, but so I'm going to research it and find out different things that I can do with it I know there's a couple of videos on YouTube about people cutting keyways like cutting a keyway like inside yes. a, key yep. a, a sprocket mm-hmm. uh, you know to be able to do that which is a thing because you know we're into the whole go-kart making thing. <laughs> so it's like you know this is like a thing you know so
0: yep I think he might have actually done that uh, this Max Grossman yeah he cut a QA on a shaft. Ah, like he used okay. a QA, and he used that for okay. and, But he also, he has, like, a whole box of, like, you know, because he probably bought all these tools from whoever had the machine. So he, you can, like, grind your own tool. Same thing you can do, like, with the, you know, yeah. with the lathe or something. You can yeah. you know, make the shape that you need um, for the tool. So that's, oh, that's yeah. really
1: I, I enjoy doing that a lot. I, I made that, um, when I made those brass inserts for, um that uh the friend of mine that does that he made a 3d printed drum set and he needed the little brass uh, heat inserts and i i made a sh- uh, um, form tool for the brass mm-hmm. brass is pr- you know brass cuts pretty easy um so i made a form tool that was the whole length of that insert that you just shove it right into the side of it and it just cuts all the grooves all at once <laughs> yeah you know and it's <clears throat> it's pretty satisfying you know, to be able to do that. But that tool though, I had to, I had to get in there with a little Dremel with a little thin, tiny little grinding wheel on a Dremel and like make that yeah. tool, you know, and then sharpen it and get it to have the right angle on it so that it would cut the brass like that. So, but you know, right. I mean, I probably worked on that thing for a couple of hours, you know, just with a magnifying glass, you know, like making this little cutting tool, but it was like, you know, I don't know. It's like, you know, you know, I like doing that. You just, just me in the garage, you know, just making this little thing. <laughs> like, um, right? I think, I think that's, uh, it's a. You gotta have patience for stuff like that.
0: Sure. I mean, trying to figure out all of the different maneuvers you'd have to do with the lathe if you were just using like one tool and to carve it, and to try to get two exactly the same if you're doing it manually, taking right. the time to make that tool made it repeatable, yeah. right?
1: Yeah. And that's what I needed to do. I needed to make, I had to make a hundred and 120, I think I made of those wow. parts. And so they needed to be very consistent. Um, mm-hmm. they were, they were being tested for uh, pull strength, um, after they were inserted. Um, okay. I don't know if you're fam- are you familiar with those, the way that those heat inserts we need do yes. a 3D printed plastic part and you put the mm-hmm. insert. So anyway, they were actually right. doing pull strength tests on those, you know, so they had to be all the same. Cause if you, you know, they tested one and it was a different shape or a little bit different um, cut, <laughs> right. you know, than the one before it was like, well, then that test is not valid. So, had to be yeah. so it was fun. It was a nice challenge. I never did anything like that before. So right. it, was, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. It was pretty good and a happy customer, which all <laughs> that matters. <laughs>
0: Yeah, of of course. So I'm curious, you know, you have all of these, you know, I guess pretty technical machining skills and, you know, you've taught yourself all these different things. Do you remember when did you start kind of branching out from photography and, you know, 3D, you know, like your, your day job and your career into all these different types of creativity and making and problem solving?
1: Well, there was a launch. There was definitely a launching point where for me, because um, <clears throat> what I was doing for my job, I had my own business. Um, we only, there was only a couple of us working there in toward the last dozen years or so. Um, but we were taking, cause I started out in automotive car photography for advertising. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was processing the images. I was doing the photo compositing, retouching and things like that, taking the pictures and putting them together and doing location changes, product updates and things like that on the car, the photos for the cars. It's a full-time job of year round yeah. for updating you Know cars because as soon as you get, you know, like well, this year's cars done, next year's car models are coming out and they're changing the wheels, right. the wheels gonna be different and all this stuff. So some of the photography gets reused, and so I was doing all that stuff, but that gradually turned into taking the OEM original, you know, equipment manufacturers, the CAD models of the of the cars. Yeah, I was getting car models that were two years in the future and um rendering them out with 3D render like animation software where you can put that in the scenes and everything like that. And so we were replacing the photography with um, simulated images of the cars because if you're going to, you know, you want to make photography for advertising for a car that's not being made yet, what they would have to do before we were doing this was they would have to take pre-production parts and they would have to build cars, a couple of cars uh, from scratch. They would hand build them so that they could be photographed. And those cars were never that great because they were hand-built. So the retouching and things like that, there was extensive work on the photos. Um, And so they were expensive to build the cars and all that stuff. So when they finally started to decide that they could um, have some studios that could have capabilities to do these renderings, um, I was getting the CAD work and we were figuring out how to go about doing that. And um, anyway, so these CAD models, you know, it's a CAD file. Like do you do CAD yourself?
0: Um I've done – I've messed around with it since like whatever the late eighties, but yeah, I've done a okay. little bit of infusion and well, stuff lately. Okay.
1: So you've modeled you've modeled some stuff. You know, you end up yeah. modeling a piece for a part or something like that mm-hmm. in your 3D printer, whatever. Well, a car, you know how many parts are in a car? I mean yeah to, to you know, I would 3D model on, you know, make a, a few things here and there, but like a, a total of like a half a dozen pieces or something, you know, like parts and screws sure. to go together. This is a whole car. So like we were doing renderings of just the engines, you know, and the transmissions and like for the electric hybrid vehicles and like the electrical systems and stuff like that. And there's so many pieces in there and these models are just so detailed because they're literally the models that they make the molds from the sh- machining and the stampings and everything to make the sheet metal for right. the cars and like every piece of the car, like there's brackets that are under the seats and in the engine compartment and underneath the car and things that you never even see as a, as a car owner, these pieces mm-hmm. that are in there. They're beautiful, you know, like in the chassis and stuff like that. And it's all in the CAD. And um, anyway, so I got fascinated with all this CAD and I'm thinking, well, it, my gosh. I mean, this is like just fascinating to me. And we were having to take it apart, put it back together. And then we do these renderings of it. But my output was two dimensional. I was making photos from all this massive, magnificent data that I had. And we'd end up with a photo, like a flat picture. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so robust, you know, all this data. And here I'm just making these pictures, which was fine. And, you know, we were made a, job out of it doing it but i just started to think like this data is just like having a 3d model of anything i'm not thinking about using anything of theirs but i'm just thinking my own because i had to learn cad to do to do the work that i was doing i had to because i had to work on with those models so i had to learn cad so when i was learning cad i started designing my own stuff for, for my own self like you know with the um the jewelry and other things that i would draw up and and model, um, and I was like, I've got to get these things out of the computer in three dimensions, not two D. Yeah, there's so much there that can be done in three D, and so that got me into thinking, well, what's the quickest what What's the quickest route for me to go from something three D in my computer and getting it out as a three D object? And that's when I uh, let me see, that would have been 2010. We went to the Maker Fair. Make Magazine's Maker Faire. They had one in uh, the Detroit Maker Faire, which was at the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Michigan. We went there in 2010. Okay. And um, my son and I looked at the uh, MakerBot at the time. The wooden, mm-hmm. there were these old wooden, little <laughs> wooden kits. <laughs> you put together 3D printers. And then there was a representative group that was there that had these like um, uh, 3D printers that were all, it was all just hobby stuff. Like there was nothing on the market. You can go really like buy one at the time. Right. And so... That Christmas, I bought for twenty. So then, starting of twenty eleven, the new year, um, I bought a MakerBot kit to build with um, my son, and uh, we put that together. And that was a, you know, I mean, hear me here again with my kids, right? And I'm like, but I'm the one mm-hmm. with the CAD models that I want to print these things. Out. <laughs> yeah. Um but they they did too. My daughter, she participated as well. Um, with some things, she actually did a couple of school projects, uh, that were 3d, 3d models that she did. And she was able to do 3d printing. So as a family, we had a 3d printer in the house into starting in 2011. So that was a way to get that stuff out of there. So it was, it was like in my head, I'm just like these digital 3d objects. I've got to get them out 3d. So then I also went with the, um, that was right about when I got the, the CNC router also okay you know to start carving so i had <clears throat> so that was 2011 2012 i had additive which is the 3d printing and subtractive which is the the router so i actually had the two main ways that you could you know produce 3d actual physical objects from a 3d uh, cad file so it was i guess that you know, to answer your question that's what really got me was that i had i had some of the probably the top I don't know what you can call it. That you know, I don't know what I could think of that would have more complicated CAD data than a car, you know? Yeah, an actual
0: car the, from GM or Ford. Yeah, like a fighter, Chrysler. Yeah, fighter jet or something.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I would. Like, would be- I guess that was the contrast of it that you know mm-hmm. I had all this information that I I had right there at the, my fingertips, and it was like I was outputting these two D images, you know, from it, right. and it just really bugged me that there was got to be a way to get this stuff out you know out of the mm-hmm. out of the machine and get it into into hands you know which they, they do at the manufacturer when they make a car i mean they actually have the cad you right. know of the car and then they make the actual car but i mean yeah. on a smaller scale i wanted to see how i could do that so that's kind of why i jumped in so that like i said that was probably between 2010 and 2012 was um when i actually got my own thing going on to, to satisfy that uh, that itch that i had you know to get the the 3d stuff um, going
0: Right. Yeah. So then did you kind of, once you working with like wood and, you know, 3d printed, you know, traditional filament and stuff, then you wanted to kind of branch out. So now you have these big cast iron machines so you can actually make stuff out of (laughs) metal steel and stuff like that.
1: I didn't jump into the machinist stuff until uh, 2016. I think it was when, um, my son joined the robotics team in the high school okay. and I was a, um, parent advisor, mentor in there. And, uh, he actually learned to use the, uh, vertical mill, Bridgeport mill and uh metal lathe in, while he was in high school on the robotics team, he had access to a metal shop and he started doing that stuff. And I was basically the safety, the parent in there, making sure nobody cut their fingers off. Oh, wow. I had no idea how to use those machines you know, at all. And I just, you know, then he, you know, he's using them and I actually had a couple of things I asked him to, you know, make for me. (laughs) Nice. I'm like, well, this is kind of interesting. It's like, uh, maybe I should learn, you know, uh, you know, to, uh, to do some of this stuff and got kind of fascinated with it. And then, um, I, as we all have followed, um, Jimmy and Jimmy had, in his New York shop, the city shop, he had that little South Bend lathe in the corner of a shop. And he was making the, the ice picks with that little lathe Right. and uh, the South Bend, that antique lathe. And, and uh, I saw that and I'm just like, man, that thing is just set. So cool. And um, uh, sure enough, one day we were, um, we were at this metal um, metal supplier where we got our, aluminum parts for the ro- The robots are pretty much aluminum because they had to be lightweight for the competition. And, uh, we all were right. buying aluminum and, uh, my son had put a couple of pieces of scrap brass in the pile that we were buying. We were buying it by the pound and we, uh, putting it in there and the guy's checking us out, checking us out with all the aluminum and stuff. He's measuring it all, out, you know, stuff. And then he sees these couple of pieces of brass in there and he's like, well, what, what are do you doing with the brass? And, uh, my son said, well, I just like turning it for fun. Cause brass is, brass is fun. You know, it's, it turns out shiny and it's easy to cut and all that stuff. So he says, Oh, you have a lathe. And he says, no, I use the one at school. Um, you know, to experiment with. And the guy says, do you want a lathe for home? <laughs> and so, wow. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just standing there going, Oh, no, no, no. Okay. Where is this conversation going now? You know, and <laughs> here I'm just standing mm-hmm. off to the side and my son and I and this guy are talking, <laughs> You know, (laughs) anyway, the guy says, um, he says, I got this old little um, South Bend lathe. And uh, he said, I I just, I got to get it out of the garage. My wife wants to put her car in there for the winter and it's in the way and I don't use it. And he says, I'll just sell it to you for what I bought it for. He said, I paid 500 bucks for it. So he says, just got to come over and get it right away. So I'm like, well, (laughs) I'll I'll come over and look at it and see what it is. So yeah, it was in good shape. That's the 1936 um, South Bend. So that was a thing. So, you know, back again, you know, a lot of this stuff ties back to me, you know, being a parent, too. But it's 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 like it it comes back to me. I'm doing this thing Mm -hmm. like, oh, my son likes to do stuff on the lathe. I don't know how to use the lathe, but he apparently likes to use the lathe a lot. Now I've got an opportunity to get a lathe for home so he can do stuff at home. (laughs) And <laughs> it's like, you know, of course, having a lathe at home, I end up learning how to use it. You know, he uses it too. So we worked on, you know, making some parts for the go-karts and stuff like that. And for his, um, his right. mini bike to be made for 4th of July weekend and, and all that stuff. So then the same exact thing happened with the Bridgeport where we were at a place, I was at a place looking for a guy to repair a metal part for me to braise some cast iron and the conversation mm-hmm. turned into like, what is this for? I said, it's for forging. It's a, it's a part of a blacksmith forge and the guy says, Oh, do you do metalworking? I says, not really. My son does more of it. And he says, Oh, what does he mm-hmm. like to do? And I told him about the machinist thing. And he's like, Oh, we've got a bridge part we need to get rid of like right away. So, wow. and i said i have no way to move a bridgeport they weigh two thousand pounds and i i I, i've got not i just no right so he lowered the price and he told me he would bring it to my house
0: wow that's great
1: i said oh no so i've I've accidentally bought two pieces of machinery like that so
0: oh that's cool (laughs)
1: yeah
0: that's
1: how i kind of got into that and by having that at home you know i was able to start learning it you know watching youtube and and uh you know, figuring that stuff out and having people to, to uh, bounce stuff off of like uh, Tony Rouleau. He's been a big right. help. You know, I've asked him questions about some things, you know, that i have been doing. And, uh, you know, he's been a he's been a big help. And there's been several other people that have been really good as far as teaching stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of like perfect. A, yeah. How that's, that sort of, I mean, did that, that was kind of a long
0: story, but did they answer your question? No, that's the, I'm always curious about these kind of things, right? So yeah, you're like, Oh, I don't know. I didn't plan on any of this. It just kind of accidentally well, I know, happened.
1: Isn't it funny? Yeah. The more people you talk to, I feel more comfortable now. Yeah. Like I'm stumbling my way through life, you know, <laughs> just yeah. falling into things.
0: Yeah. But do you think that seeing Jimmy have those things in his basement, um, kind of gave you an idea like, Oh, you can, you, you can get one of those, you know? <laughs> you know, what I mean, because you probably, you, you know, you worked in, you probably knew what a lathe and a, you know, a mill were before yeah. you saw them, you know, on YouTube, but just seeing someone, you know, just have them in their that small shop and, you know, using it to make whatever they wanted, you know, that give you, kind, you know. In the back of your head, like, give you an idea that, you know, cause yeah. I mean, when he's like, Hey, do you want to buy a South Bend lathe? You're like, well, I mean, you know, maybe, you know? <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, the thing is that I skipped a little bit of my history. Uh, when I was 15 years old, I had a friend, uh, his dad owned a machine shop. And so for okay. one summer, I had a, um, I had a summer job uh, working at a machine shop, but I wasn't doing anything with the machines. <laughs> it was, I was sweeping the floor cleaning the bathroom yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, I was around the guys that were using the metal, the metal working machines, the laser and the bridge ports and things like that. Um, and then I, I, by the end of the summer, I had, I had been promoted up to filing uh, deburring parts <laughs> in a vice. Oh boy. So yeah, it's that's like, pretty good. <laughs> so I was there though. So I was around it, you know, um, a little yeah. bit. And I, I really didn't like that job at all. <laughs> because,
0: yeah, I um, can imagine. You know, just
1: kind of full circle back now. I'm just thinking, wow, those guys that I thought were just these, you know, these jerks, you know, that they were kind of foul mouth, you know, machine mm-hmm. shop rat guys. <laughs> they were just like, yeah, they yeah. were skilled. They were very, they were skilled, and they were doing, mm-hmm. they were doing things. They were making some pretty high, you know, precision parts and things there that were, you know, I ne- I didn't have an appreciation for it at the time, you know, because these guys, right. I was, I was the, I was the run, you know, the guy that they, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was the I was the kid yep. that got kicked around at the shop, you know. So,
0: sure. Yep. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. Hopefully, there's not as much of that these days, but you know, that was definitely the way to you learned uh, back in the olden days.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yep, that would have been probably in
0: 1974, 75, something like that. Sure. Cool. That's a really fun story. I'm glad you you got it all the way back around uh, back to the beginning. <laughs> yeah <clears throat> great um so if people want to see um what you're working on where can they go
1: well uh for the most part instagram they can look at a lot of uh, legacy stuff like on youtube but it's been a while since i've been on there i do have plans to get back on um i uh i took a break for a little while on there and focused on instagram instagram's instagram's pretty good for keeping in touch with people and actually now that you can put reels together and do the edits and stuff like that it's a lot of fun that short format mm-hmm. it's really great you yeah. i actually do a lot of communication with um showing like i can show what i'm doing and stuff in very within you know 90 seconds of you know and it's actually helped my uh editing skills
0: right yeah We're you have to be very focused editing. yeah <laughs> um,
1: so once i get back on youtube i'll be there but anyway yeah so to answer your question, Instagram's number one, YouTube for some uh, little bit stuff that's from a little bit a while ago, but some fun projects on there. And uh, I pop up on Facebook every once in a while, but not that often. So
0: all right, yeah. It's works by solo everywhere, right?
1: It is everywhere, yeah, including the dot com, works by solo.com. So and I've got a like everybody says, hey, I gotta update that website. That's right,
0: <laughs> me too. I do mine. All right, I want to take a second to thank the patrons who helped make the show happen. My top tier patrons are Matt, uh, Artigiano Sirio, Ed Johns, Sean Beckner, and Brian Callahan. Uh, All the patrons get access to the after show where we have a little bit more of conversation with our guests. Um, You can go to patreon.com slash making problems to solve if you want to sign up. You can follow the show on Instagram at Making Problems to Solve. And you can see what I'm working on on Instagram at Dave Bauer Art. Thanks a lot for talking to me today.
1: Oh, it's great. It's great, Dave. Had a lot of fun. Thank you.